0: Good morning. All right. Well, this morning is the the morning we've been waiting for. How many of you have just wanted to talk about tongues and healing and prophecy for two months? All right. Well, this morning's it. Um, we've been in this series for the last couple months talking through the, whole, the Holy Spirit, the roles of the Holy Spirit, uh, as well as then getting into the gifts of the Spirit, what that looks like, what are some of the gifts mapped out for us in Scripture. We've talked through those individually, uh, talked about the practical side of those gifts, what do they look like to be used. Also talked about the fact that we don't think that this list of gifts that we're given, about 19-ish uh, in Paul's epistles, are necessarily an exhaustive list, that there's tons more, but these are what they what what we're given in, in Scripture. And so we just wanted to walk through these like one by one, knowing that we started with, like, administration, and then eventually we're going to get to miracles and healing and prophecy and the stuff we're going to talk about today. So uh, this morning, like, we, as we've been walking through this, you know, we've been talking about the word gifts, we've been talking about the love gifts, and just to give you some clarity, like, some definitions behind those, when we talked about the love gifts, we said that the love gifts are those which manifest the love of God in practical ways, The word gifts are those which clarify the nature and action and purposes of God. And this morning, we're going to get to the power gifts. These are the gifts that demonstrate the power and the presence and reality of God. And so before we get too far, I want to give us some context in in the scriptures in regards to spiritual gifts. And uh, this is kind of an overview of the last month and a half and what the scriptures say about spiritual gifts, as well as we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians 12 and then the specific power gifts that we'll kind of talk through this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, four through seven says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good, is what Paul says. Romans 12, 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. 1 Peter four ten, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Romans 1, 11 and 12, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, Romans 1. So as you read through these passages, what would you say are the purpose of the gifts? To serve one another, to be edified and mutually encouraged, that it uplifts the body, to be obedient, that we're earnestly seeking and using the gifts that God has given us? I mean, last week, we divided into groups at the end of the service, and we had this discussion of like hey, what what do you think, what does it look like if the church chooses not to use these gifts? And some of the dialogue that I received back from others was people saying, you know, in my group, 90% of the people in the group didn't know what their gifts were. Um, is it even important that we discover those? And I think that, that that's kind of a problem in the church is that we've basically been raised up in a scenario where um, we don't talk about them enough. We don't encourage people to seek after them enough. And so we've basically become convinced that we'll just be believers and settle with this life as a believer, but not using the empowered gifts that the Holy Spirit wants, desires to give you. And it's a process of seeking, earnestly seeking, desiring to receive these gifts, to discover those gifts. What an amazing journey this is for us to discover these gifts that God's given us. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, says this, and this is kind of what we'll tee off on this morning. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, varieties of service, but the same Lord, varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The hope in the last two months is that you begin this journey of figuring out how he's apportioned these gifts to each one of you. And these power gifts, they're this group of gifts as we begin to talk about them this morning, the ones we just read. It's this group of gifts that I think that people are just afraid to talk about. But this morning I I kind of, I want to go there and I want to talk about every part of scripture, not just the parts that are popular, not the parts that are just easy for us to understand, but we want everybody in this church to be assured of their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ for one. And we want everybody in this church to be confident in their spiritual gifts, to begin to practice, to use them, to put them to practice. We want everyone using those spiritual gifts to serve our church faithfully on on, on an ongoing basis. And so in relation to these power gifts, these power gifts, they really demonstrate the reality of this unseen God that we serve, because God's invisible, and yet he's given us many ways for us to actually know his power and to know who he is. Jesus himself said this, the wind blows wherever it wants, and you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, but you can see the effects of the wind. And that's how it is with the Holy Spirit, is that many people are afraid of this group of gifts or they're skeptical of these gifts because of a few reasons. And I'm gonna get to these in a second, but I wanna open us up in a word of prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to season this time. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your word as we do every week. God, what a privilege it is to be able to sit, stand as your church and open up your word to talk about it freely. And I pray this morning, God, as we look at these gifts, Lord, it's really your responsibility to begin to identify these in the lives of the people in this room. But I give you this time and I pray, Lord, that you would use this next 40 minutes, Lord, in such a profitable way in our lives. That you would encourage us and edify us and that we would be a people that don't get afraid of, and just kind of ignore the gifts of the Spirit, but a people that desire and seek, earnestly seek, that you would give them to us and show them, reveal them to us. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. So there's a few key reasons, I think, that that we're afraid of or skeptical of these gifts. One is uh, maybe some of you were taught uh, by another church or a preacher at some point in time that these gifts were not for today. And I see nowhere in scripture where it says that these gifts have been canceled and they're no longer operative. They're no longer being used today. The, the Bible teaches that every Christian is available or able to have personal, tangible like experience of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives, that it's available to all of us, so that it's ongoing, that it's normal, it should be normal, that it's a life, lifelong pursuit of Jesus, but we get this privilege of watching the Holy Spirit do this work But for some people, since you can't fit the movement of the Holy Spirit into an Excel spreadsheet, into columns and rows, it gets very frustrating. And so we reject anything that doesn't fit into columns and rows because it's just outside of our ability to grasp what it is that's actually going on and how God wants to work today. That's a problem, to be honest, when we start to think like that. Second thing, some of you have seen these gifts abused in churches or in pockets of believers throughout your lifetime. But what I really wanna do is I wanna help us try to figure out how to stay in balance, right? And, and the balance for us is word and the balance is spirit. It, it's the balance of the two, it's word and spirit. If you've been involved in different traditions with regards to like the charismatic or, or maybe the more conservative, Churches, you've seen the pendulum swing both ways, where it becomes all spirit, or it becomes all word, and in either of those cases, we run the tendency of just drowning out either the truth in the word of God, or drowning out the the, the mystery of the spirit, and what it is that God has for us in his spirit, and they need to be balanced in one another. The word is the written word. It's the revelation of Jesus, and the spirit is, He's sort of the mystery of it all, right? He's the one who fills our hearts with these wonderful things of God's truth that we read in scripture. And I want you to picture for a second like a big grandfather clock and and a big pendulum that's swinging back and forth in this clock. So we need word and we need spirit. And so for the clock to keep on working, for it to keep ticking, it just can't get stuck on any one location, right? It can't get stuck over here on word and it can't get stuck over here on the spirit, it can't get stuck, it has to keep moving in order for the clock to function properly. And so we dig into the word of God, we, we develop our theology, we understand what it is that God wants, what, what he said, what he's clearly revealed to us in his word, and then we move into the mobilization of his word by his spirit, but we just can't stay over here at the spirit, because that can become kind of a kind of subjective for a while, can it? And so we've gotta get back and be rooted in the scriptures. We've gotta keep this pendulum swinging of sorts. And so we make a real mistake anytime in Christianity, we get stuck on one side or the other. And historically, that's always what's happened. We, we preach the word so hard that we deny the spirit. And then we preach the spirit so hard that we deny the word. And so we've gotta keep this thing moving because we actually need to be deeply rooted in the scriptures so that we're not blown around and chasing the latest ideas or chasing after sensationalism or emotionalism. But but some people need to be cautioned on that, right? Because you have the tendency of getting lost in one side or the other. But some of you need to be cautioned by the fact that God's Holy Spirit actually is still active. I can't reiterate this enough, that his Holy Spirit is still speaking today, that his power is not something that we should try to put limits on, that there will always be mystery in how God works because it's a relationship, it's not a dictatorship. And so God still wants to do supernatural things in our midst today, but sometimes he doesn't do them because we've already decided in our minds that God doesn't work like that anymore. We've determined that. And I would sort of liken this approach to a circular argument or like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because if you don't believe the power gifts are active today, you're going to surround yourself with people that believe like you, that think the same exact things, and then you won't see them activated today. And you're going to hang out with those people. And what do you know? Like, there's no power gifts. Well, because none of you actually believe that those were for us today. You've already decided that's the people you surround yourself with. It's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, whereas when you hang out with people who do believe that the gifts are active and they actively utilize those gifts, then we see God begin to do this work today. And so we need to be willing this morning to consider that maybe of our, sometime, some of our like long-held our deeply sort of held views on these subjects may not be so deeply rooted in Scripture. And so, at some point in your life, you, you come to wrestle with this. I've had to wrestle this, with this myself. My, my most formative years in the church, and in Bible college, and on staff at the first church that I worked at, were in a tradition of churches that very actively moved in the gifts of the Spirit. Like, it was very prominent everywhere around me. It was really amazing to see. But it wasn't until I started studying the Bible, like really studying the Bible, surrounding myself with people that were helping give me like some direction some instruction some education with regards to what the scriptures actually said and I started reading it for myself listening to some well-spoken theologians and and some different teachers that I started seeing some of the errors in the tradition that I grew up in because what I saw was oh they actually abandoned the scriptures to just take this thing on themselves and it was all about being led by the spirit And there were these massive contradictions that I saw that, like, I personally just could not reconcile. And so what happens in life is that we love black and white. Like, we love either actively pursuing one thing or another, but we hate tension. We hate tension. And I will say that I'm guilty of not putting as much emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit, specifically even the power gifts, in my own life, in seasons of my life. And the older that, that you get, the more hard things you experience, the more people that you watch die, the more people that you watch wrestle through illness, the more people that you watch wrestle through marital problems and you watch marriages fall apart, fall apart the more crappy circumstances that you watch people falling into in their, in their lives, you start to become a very jaded person. You become very calloused because what you believe is that I've prayed for them and I still haven't seen the fruit of the prayers that I've prayed. And I'll be just so transparent with you guys this morning, it is hard, as a 43-year-old pastor that's been serving Jesus since I was 17, that early on in ministry saw some really crazy things that the Holy Spirit was doing, but over the course of my life in ministry have begun to drown those things out because I've just watched people's lives fall apart left and right, and I've prayed hard for them, and they still die. Pray hard for them and their marriages still end up in divorce. I pray hard for them and they still wrestle through the difficult things in life and seem as though they're not free and how do I reconcile that in my heart? It can lead you to a point of just becoming jaded and believing God just doesn't move like that anymore because it seems as though everybody I've prayed for, everybody I've been around, like they just continue to experience bad things when the reality of it is this. I've seen so much good that God has done in in my life. Like if I'm not anchored to the good that God has done and the work that God has done, the enemy can easily lead me down a path of convincing me that God does not do that anymore because you don't see it. And the reality is I have seen it. And so there are times in your life where you just stand on that, right? No, devil, (laughs) I've seen it happen. Like, I've literally watched lives transformed. I've seen God do this work. I know that he can and that he will do it. But 20 years ago, like, I had to wrestle with the fact that the deeply held things that I was taught, like my deeply held beliefs that I grew up in were not as rooted in scripture as I had thought they were. And so these power gifts, they demonstrate the reality of the unseen God. Like, we're gonna go through nine of these gifts this morning. I'm just gonna kind of blast through them. But please know that, I'm blasting through them just because I'm giving us kind of a taster, like a little teaser on each of these gifts. But I encourage you guys to dig in, to study, to read, to spend time with Jesus, to unpack this for yourselves. Next week, I'm going to have a bunch of books here. Um, It's a book called Convergence, written by a pastor in Canada named John Thompson. And over the last two months, I've spent a lot of time in this book. It's helped form some of my thoughts around this. And so we're going to make these books available to purchase next week if you guys want to grab one for yourselves and spend some time in it. But I don't have time to give you the exhaustive definition of each of these gifts on a Sunday morning, but I challenge you guys to dig in and begin to study these for yourselves, to earnestly seek the gifts, earnestly seek God for what it is that he has for you. So um, the first three gifts, I'm going to kind of blast through these especially, but The first thing I'm gonna go over is the gift of faith, uh, the, the utterance of wisdom, as Paul talks about, and the utterance of knowledge. Now, the gift of faith, I'll go real quickly on this. We all, as followers of Jesus, are required to have faith. That should be a part of all of our lives. But how many of you in this room have met those people that have just an insane, like, divine ability to have faith that doesn't make sense when everybody else is freaking out? Any of you seen those people before? Or maybe you're some of those people. Or it's just like, to everybody else, this is the worst situation ever. Or man, you'd be crazy to do that. But yet God has given you this divine ability to step into a situation, to move in a direction, to say something, to do something that nobody else will do because he's just given you this divine faith. Like that's really what it is. We're all required to have faith to some extent and I'll get to that later. But this person who has this gift of faith is somebody that just... They continue to act and, and to practice faith in their lives. They're people that you go to to even help you make decisions on whether or not you should take a leap of faith in your own life. This utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge, I want to, I, I think that these two things as well, they, they've been sort of marred in the church because we've chalked these up to prophecy as like future telling type things i actually think when it comes to the utterance of wisdom like these are people who just have a divine ability to give you wise counsel to point you back to the word of god they have the ability in in the midst of a situation in your life there are people that you guys can identify right now who you trust deeply that you go to and you say what do you think about this? And you trust what they're gonna say because they're wise. They've grounded themselves in the word of God. I'll tell you, in my life, I've had a handful of those people that I deeply cherish because I know when I go to them that they're not people that are just gonna flippantly say, oh yeah, do that, that sounds fun. But they're people that are gonna say, let me pray about that. Actually, let me challenge what you're saying in the word of God and let me get back to you after I've spent time with the Lord and share my thoughts on this. Likewise, the, this, this utterance of knowledge. Similarly, like we, we will talk about, oh, the Lord gave me a word of knowledge for somebody. And, and we talk about it as though it's like fortune telling or as, It's some prophetic word when actually like this utterance of knowledge, again, is something that's grounded in scripture, something that people have this divine ability to have knowledge that maybe nobody else does that came from the Lord. They get a download that maybe nobody else got, but it's not necessarily fortune telling and it's not prophecy, which we'll get to in a little bit. It's different than that. And so you've got this wisdom, you've got this knowledge. The next one is the gift of discernment that, that Paul mentions. Discernment is literally having God's mind to know if a teaching or a philosophy is of God or if it's a false teaching, if it's of evil spirits. I would point you to Ephesians chapter four, verse 14, which is this discussion of the spiritual gifts. And Paul, at the end of the section, he says this. He says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced When people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Listen to that part. Lies so clever that they sound like truth. Discernment is what we need in the church so that false teachings don't come in and shipwreck us. We have to have people with discernment. And we also need to have discernment as we operate in this world, like as we live in this crazy world that God's given us. Like, I think. We, we've really failed in the church in this area in America, to be honest with you, and I'm going to push some buttons this morning for a second, especially as of late. Um, for example, when we read or listen to the news, we need to make sure that we're not deceived by those who are trying to get us to buy into their narrative. And, and when I say that, um, on both sides of the spectrum, they're trying to get you to buy a narrative, Your role as a follower of Jesus is not to be led by those voices, but to have discernment for yourself. Like, the gift of discernment is the divine ability to see things, know things, feel things, sense things, when nobody else does, to say, that's off. And I know that's off, because the Word of God says X, Y, Z, whatever it is, right? Every mainstream news outlet always comes in with a bias they want you to buy into on either side of the spectrum. Like they've already made up their mind about how you should think about every issue that it is that's gonna be coming your way and so we need to have discernment. I get really frustrated when I listen to Christians talk about the political state of our country because we wanna make it about red and blue. But it's never about red and blue, right? It's about righteous and unrighteous in God's eyes. Righteous and unrighteous. Like, that's what God doesn't see in red and blue. And if that's the case, then both red and blue really need to get on their knees and repent, right? Like, both have made major errors in either direction. But we never want to fall for this belief that even some Savior is going to come along and rescue us and save us politically because that's idolatry. And we get lost in that as well. Only Jesus will save us. It's only Christ. So we can pray that our nation rebounds and that it recovers and that all this kind of stuff falls into place, but we can't just put our hope in one person and believe that they're gonna turn the tide for us. Jesus is the only one that has the power to do so. Like, that's how it works. We need discernment. And so if you have the gift of discernment, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because you'll often be the person that's poking holes in everything you hear and see. You're watching the news, you're like, lie, 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 lie. (laughs) Like, you just have this divine ability. Like, we need you. The church needs you to help us be the, find the barometer of truth in the church, Because you may be a person that hears one thing, but, but know how the Spirit is actually discerning what it is that you're hearing. And so you know what's true because the Spirit's revealed that to you. You hear one thing being said, but know that the Word of God says cl- something else so clearly, and so it can't be what it is that you're hearing because you know that that's not true. You're also a person that tends to walk into venues and situations, and you just feel, you discern things. You have this sense, like this spidey sense, right? Like, my discernment radar from a young age would go crazy when I would walk into places. I'd be like, oh, this feels off. And I never could figure out, like, what that was. Why I just felt weird in certain situations. Like, I've traveled a ton internationally. There are countries that I've literally landed in and when the plane got on the ground in the country, I'm like, this is odd. Honestly, India is like one of Marty, I've talked to Marty a ton about this. India is one of those places. God's doing amazing things there. The worst trip of my whole life. Because every situation I was put in, I was like in a taxi with a Hindu guy with all these like little gods around me in the taxi. And I'm just like, dude, I'm, I just, I feel the oppression everywhere I go. I could just sense it. But yet the people I were with were like, oh, it's fine, you know, like and I'm like, I I just feel this deeply. Like I was sick the whole time I was there. It was crazy how I was feeling that 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 trip. Um but hear this: if you have the gift of discernment, it's only gonna come about as you mature in your love for the word of God. And I really want to reiterate that for you because Discerners saturate themselves in the Bible. They just, they're people that read it cover to cover and again and again because that's how much we need to know if we're gonna be discerning what is actually going on and have a barometer of truth because we need to know how God works. We need to know what God likes and what he dislikes and his plan and and how the unfolding of that is yet to come. Like we need to know these things because that becomes our gauge by which he uses to lead us. And so we need truth. We need to know the difference between truth and almost truth, right? Like look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve get deceived in the Garden of Eden did Satan come up with some crazy, insane lie to feed to them? Like, they would have seen right through any crazy, like, stupid lie that, that Satan tried to put together, but he came as close to the truth as he possibly could get, and then he backed off, and then he began to twist it. In fact, he, he used God's word, and he twisted it. And so we need this gift of discernment. Like, Adam and Eve were not able to sort through truth and Almost truth. And so people in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, John, uh, Peter, Jude, James, like the majority of the New Testament writers, in fact, their writings are constantly pointing to this concept of, hey, watch out, there's going to be people who come in around you, they're going to try and sound like they love God, they they have things figured out, they're going to have this measure of godliness when you hear them, but they're actually frauds. And, and you need to be able to discern that. Like they'll try to get into your mind, they'll try to deceive you all the while sounding very religious, but they are not of the truth. And how do you discern that if you don't know the word of God? I mean, you could say it's just all spirit, right? But it's the balance of the two. It's spirit and word. The next one, the gift of Tongues. Some people are so afraid of this topic, right? They they, they don't even want to talk about it because it just makes people mad. (laughs) Like, I just don't like talking about it because nobody can make sense of it, and it freaks me out, and so I'd just rather not talk about it at all. But there's a lot of discussion around the gift of tongues, and it primarily has to do with the abuses and, and grandstanding and, like, sort of chaotic, disorderly uses of this gift. However, I will say this it's a real gift. It is a real gift. But there's a lot of confusion around it. And that has to do with like this fundamental understanding or misunderstanding of different kinds of tongues that the Bible actually talks about. I believe that there's, there's, at least three different types of tongues that are mentioned in scripture. And so if you look at the book of Acts in chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, we we see people speaking in tongues and they're prophesying just like the prophet Joel had predicted that they would. And and then what's happening in in this situation? Like, it it was very specific. It was specifically Jewish people who had come from other parts of the world to Jerusalem and they're all hearing the gospel of Jesus in their own tongue, their own native language, and so they marveled. They said, how is it possible that we're hearing the gospel of Jesus in our native tongue when they don't even know the language that we speak? Like, that was the gift of tongues that was given to the early church at that moment at Pentecost. That's the first one. The second one, real quick, I think we do a a major injustice when we try to recreate that moment. or think that there's somehow that's supposed to happen today. That was a very specific thing for a very specific time. 3,000 people get saved. They're hearing the gospel of Jesus in their native tongue when the people didn't even know the languages that they spoke. I mean, talk about a miracle. It was the Lord getting to the hearts of people to get them saved, that they would have an understanding of who Jesus was. that The one who died and rose again was actually the Messiah that came for them, and they're hearing it being proclaimed in their native tongue. Like, talk about a crazy situation. That was specific for that time. The second kind of tongue is what you see in 1 Corinthians 14, which is a message that's given by God through somebody to somebody else, maybe even in a corporate setting, which Paul actually gives a lot of guardrails for, Right? But they hear this language, they hear this person speaking in a language that they don't understand. But Paul goes on to talk about how that requires an interpretation, which is where we get the gift of interpretation as well. I've seen this done properly, and I've seen this done in a totally jacked up way, to be honest with you. Um, One time at the end of one of our anthem services, this was maybe a year into planting the church. Um, So I would have been 29, 30 years old. And uh, we get done with the service and we all gather around in a circle and it was, we're all young. We're all all in our 20s, maybe 30s at the time. And we gather in a circle at the end of the service and we hold hands and we just start praying. And uh, the, the really funny part about this is there's this woman in the circle and she used to show up at our services with a tambourine, but it was in her purse. And so every week, every week, Nobody would come in with the tambourine, and then like worship would start. And you go, and it's like, what the? And the drummer can't stay on beat because this lady's just like going for it with the tambourine. Like it was, like what the heck's going on? You know? And so we had to say, hey, can you please not bring the tambourine? Like, love your passion for Jesus and really want you to worship, but um, you know, I'd rather you dance than shake the tambourine. You know? And so we're standing in the circle after service and we're praying. And it was such an impactful moment. This woman, the least of these, begins to just pray in this tongue. And we're all like, like, (laughs) tambourine lady, you know? Like, uh, don't bring that either, you know? Put that back in your purse. Um, But she starts speaking in this tongue. And it was so orderly and so cool because the minute she stopped, Somebody else in the circle said, I believe the Lord gave me an interpretation for that. And then they shared that word with the people in the circle. Not one person in that group walked away feeling like, dude, so sketchy. Like, that was just weird. That made me feel odd. You know, it was like, that was totally the Lord. It happened in a very orderly way. And the word was not like, thus saith the Lord, you know, (laughs) whatever. It was just very orderly. And it was very encouraging and very uplifting to the people that were standing in that circle. It was the most amazing use of that gift. Now, the the third type of tongue that exists is also found in 1 Corinthians 14 and in Romans 8. And it has to do with personally being built up in our faith. Uh, It has to do with what, what I would call like a prayer language is how it's often referred to. It's something that the Holy Spirit brings to us that allows us to commune in a deeper way with God. I believe a lot of people can have this gift. Maybe not all, but like a lot of people can have this gift, many. But we don't want our church to be built around little tiny doctrines about tongues, right? So like for me, it's not like I want you to leave here and just start pursuing tongues as though it's the epitome of all gifts. I told a story a few weeks ago about how I had received this gift early on in college, how impactful that was for me. I will tell you, There are times in my life when I do not have words to communicate with the Lord when I'm praying to him. I'm frustrated. I'm tired. I don't know what to say or how to say it. And I communicate with him in tongues. And it's such a sweet and rich time in the Lord for me because he knows what I'm saying. He's communing with my heart. And that's tongues in a way that builds us up. Like it edifies us. It builds us up. So please hear me this morning. Like, I'm, I'm not asking you guys to all come forward after the service, and we're just going to have, like, a mass tongues-speaking session. But I don't want you to leave here this morning thinking as though it's not for today, that it's not present and active. There's a bunch of sleeper tongue talkers in this church. <laughs> They don't ever talk about it, you know what I mean? But like in their prayer closet, they're just going to town with Jesus in a crazy tongue. The next one is this gift of miracles. So uh, in the Old Testament, we see miracles like many different times through people like Moses. We see things, crazy things happen through the prophet Elijah, like crazy miracles. He He commands that the rain wouldn't fall for three years and it happens. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, the first 30 years of Jesus' life, there's no miracles in Jesus' life. He doesn't experience miracles. But the last three years of Jesus' life, it was like nonstop miracles everywhere he went. One of the main functions of miracles is that it was a sign to unbelievers. Like the miracles are for gospel, pro- gospel proclamation. It's for gospel witness. The Lord makes himself known through miracles like that. And the miracles are accompanied by the proclamation of the gospel. In Mark 16, at the very end of that book, it talks about when the gospel is preached that it would be accompanied by signs and wonders and healings and miracles, that people would cast out demons, and that the purpose of it all is to give validation to the gospel word. Back to the word, point people to Jesus. And so in other words, like we have the word of God, but we also have the power of God at the same exact time. And so these gifts of miracles give proof that God's gospel, like Jesus' gospel, is true, not just in words, but it actually is true in power as well. And so all throughout the book of Acts, for example, we see that wherever the gospel is being preached, very often miracles accompany the gospel proclamation as confirmation of that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active, and it's functioning through his people in that time. And so the fact of the matter is that some people won't believe in Jesus until they see this this radical display of Jesus' undeniable power by way of his Holy Spirit that then is accompanied with the proclamation of the gospel. That the Lord sort of, you you see in instances where um, even like the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus feeds the stomach, but was his goal to just give them food? No, he fed the stomach to get to the heart. Ultimately, he cared that they would know him. And it's the same thing with these miracles. They break out, they happen. I've watched them happen in my own life. But when they happen, they happen because Jesus is wanting to communicate to a people. He's not wanting to just satiate some need that they have. He wants to communicate with them. He wants them to know the truth. Uh, The next one, the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says this. One who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them, and so in short, the gift of prophecy builds up the church. Prophecy is the ability to hear the Holy Spirit and pass on a special word from the Lord to help others in their relationship with God. Like prophecy is speaking biblical truth into a current situation. Now sometimes these words from God come through visions, they come through images, they come through dreams, scriptures, like I've had God speak to me in all of those ways at some point throughout my life, but this. Spiritual gift helps others to hear God's promises in a fresh way, and it points us toward what God wants us to do and how to go about it. And it's interesting because in order to talk about true prophecy, you have to talk about false prophecy as well, right? Like kind of pulling on this spiritual gift of discernment even a little bit, that it needs to function as well, because the Bible warns us all over the place about false prophets and false prophecies. And false prophecies often come from what I would call like lone wolves, right? Who desire to, to, to become popular, to draw a following to themselves by saying things like, God told me so. Thus saith the Lord on this date, like whatever it is. And so you notice people who, who say these things actually never delivered God's message. It was just their own message. But they don't talk about repentance from sin instead they get people all worked up about dates and times and specific events and they tickle the ears of the hearers and tell people what they wanna hear and those are warning signs of a false prophet. We're literally warned of that in scripture. I have some insane stories about situations I, would, I was put in with what I would call false prophets in my life and one of which led me down this path of discovery about this person that identified themselves as a prophet it was one of the most insane, like, spirit-led, divine orchestrations in my entire life, the way this whole thing unfolded, and how I found out stuff, and it was like, it was the craziest thing, um, but it was, because, it was because God cares a lot about his church, He cares a lot about his church being instructed properly by people who are pure in heart, who have a desire to lead his church to him, prepare his church for him. But we live in a day and age where there are a ton of lone wolves, borderline false prophets, people that establish establish themselves as mouthpieces of the Lord but actually are being led by a false spirit to cause confusion and division and distraction in Jesus' church. True prophecy rarely tells you what you wanna hear. True prophecy is often offensive to our flesh, to be honest, because it confronts our sin nature. Now, Jeremiah was a true prophet. In, in, in Jeremiah chapter 23, he tells us that real prophecies come from people who have spent time as worshipers in God's presence, surrendered to his will. Therefore, prophecies come from mature believers, not from proud people. And so many of the prophecies in both the Old and the New Testament come in the form of warnings, and they, they, they sort of call to obedience. They call to greater service. And so I've also been in settings where self-proclaimed prophets have stood before a church and identified um, a person that was sitting there at that, at that time and told them they were going to make millions of dollars in their life. I came out of that room so frustrated. 15 years later, that person has never made millions. That person has actually, in many settings, tried to bank themselves on making millions and hoped for that, but it hasn't happened. And I just think we wreak havoc when we come in as self-proclaimed prophets and begin to tell people things that scratch their flesh instead of feeding them the truth pointing them to God. In in fact, this whole Anthem Church movement, to be just super transparent with you guys, started with a prophetic word. And if you ever want to know that story, I'd love to sit down with you, but this is like 17 years ago in Heather and I's life. It was somebody stepping out to share this prophetic word, this vision that the Lord gave them, that got Heather and I praying and thinking and seeking the Lord about, what it would look like to eventually plant a church. And I'll tell you, again, the the story sometime if you wanna hear it, but I'm so grateful for that gift that God gave that person to share that with me because it radically impacted my life, but I watched everything they said come to fruition in the last 17 years. It's insane, actually. Multiple points of this word that they gave us that came to pass. And Revelation 19 tells us firsthand that the purpose and essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. That that's the purpose for it. And so if prophecies and visions do not lead us into greater love and obedience towards Jesus, then they're not of God. And so let me put it this way, if a prophecy has to do with you getting more things to satisfy your worldly pleasures, the prophecy is not of God. Like, can we be clear about that this morning? False prophets promise you what you want in this life in order to get a hold of your money and make you spiritually dependent on them. That's not of God. Oftentimes in my life, the way this has worked out when I've had prophetic words is um, the Lord would share something with me and there's a handful of trusted people that I would go to or my wife and say, this is what I heard, this is what I got. What do you think about this? Will you pray about this with me? If, in fact, the Lord is speaking amongst the community and it's resonating with a handful of people that I really trust that have the gift of discernment that can actually wade through this with me, then it becomes something that I'd share. But there's no way that I'd just get up and be like, thus saith the Lord, you know, like this is what's going to happen, because it's not tried, it's not tested, it hasn't gone before others to see Do the people with the gift of discernment actually sense that this is of the Lord as well? And then we can move forward uh, in sharing it. So, uh, last one is I want to talk about the gift of healing. My question for you guys real quick is, does God still heal today? Do you believe that? Mixed bag in here. Some of you are like, eh, I don't know. Some of you say yes, some of you say no. But as a pastor, like I'm called so often to pray with people for healing, and I'm challenged by what James five says. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And though I don't believe that I personally have the gift of healing, I think that some of you in this room do. That God has given you that. And and I think that the elders, the overseers in the church are tasked to pray over the sick as well. I, I know that God still heals because I've experienced it and I've seen it firsthand. But it often comes as the elders or groups of believers come together and they begin to pray together in faith. And so I encourage you as believers, like we've got to get back to this practice of praying together and believing for these things. We have to get back to this. It, it, it's our privilege to ask this amazing God for his help. Like what a gift it is. And some of you have been given the gift of healing and so I kind of think, hey, like we should be like getting our elders to wear the the rubber off their tires because they're driving around so much, praying for everybody everywhere they go. You know, like, this. those of you with the gift of healing, you should be people that are actively utilizing this wherever, however you can, like, praying for people. This is what the Bible teaches. Like, why aren't we doing this more in the church today? Why aren't we providing more space for people to be prayed over and believe that God can heal? But I wanna talk a little bit more about what healing is because Jesus healed when he walked on this earth. But the reality is that not everybody in the land that he walked in was healed. And we don't think about that very often, right? The, the apostles operated in healing. Like we have testimony of that in the scriptures but not everybody who was around the apostles was always healed. In fact, Paul leaves one of his closest coworkers in a sick bed so that he can go out and keep doing ministry. Like, don't you think it ever occurred to Paul, like, oh, I should pray for him? Like, Paul himself leaves a dude sick to go do more ministry work. (laughs) Like, sometimes healings are partial. Sometimes healings are temporary. Like, eventually people die, right? (laughs) Like, you can pray, people rise from the dead. I've heard the stories firsthand. But eventually those people go back into the grave, don't they? And so you have to wrestle with the objective, the point of healing. Like, is it because God wants you to live in an eternal state in this life right now? No. There will be one day when you will have, live in an eternal state with a fully resurrected body that is perfect, free from pain, free from fear and worry and sickness, But that's not for us now. And so, oftentimes, when the Lord steps in and moves through somebody to pray for healing in somebody's life, it's because, like miracles, there's something greater that the Lord wants to do in that person's life or in the people's lives who are surrounding that person. More often than not, when I've seen miracles happen or when I've watched a healing take place, it has been in like a group setting where there are people that are unbelievers or doubters, skeptics, people that are standing around that wouldn't normally believe in Jesus. And when they see, the power of God like that, it does something to convince their hearts in that moment. So we believe that God does heal, that he's still healing today. But I wanna remind you this morning that not every prayer for healing actually ends in healing. But I do know that ultimately, every healing does end in healing eternally. Because even if you pass from this life, you move on to the next in a state of total healing forever, eternally. Um, If God does grant healing to our physical bodies in the here and now, I think it's a metaphor for what God has made available in Christ for all who call on his name to be saved for eternity. And I challenge you to receive that healing, that healing above all else. Because once you're in that kind of a loving relationship with God, we have this, Great privilege of asking for his mercy and his grace upon our mortal bodies. And then having asked, we simply accept his will. Whatever you want, Jesus, is what I want. Knowing that the cross of Christ ultimately is our full healing. That's it. And so for reasons only known to God and his sovereign plan, some of us are gonna have to wait just a little bit longer to receive the healing that God will eventually give you. Some of you will see it take place right away. Some of it, it may be partial. Some of it, it may be temporary. But might I encourage us this morning that we should not stop praying for it. Don't stop praying for it. And might I encourage you that some of you in this room have this divine ability to lay hands on people, and people get healed when you pray for them. And there's something really sweet about that. I don't know if you've ever been in those moments where like you lay hands on somebody and somebody goes, I just sensed something different when you started to pray for me. I remember um, my brother, most of you guys know my brother, he was in a car accident when he was 15, like broadsided by a dump truck and was in a coma for two weeks. And I was at this, a year into like really surrendering my life to Jesus. And there was this gathering of people in town here called the building at the time and there was a bunch of ragtag people We were like skateboarders and hippies and people that like were the least of these that were like giving their lives to Jesus. And I was at this gathering one night while my brother was in the hospital. And it was the most amazing thing. We like, we, we sat down in the middle of this building and everybody in that building, there was probably a hundred of us in there. They all knew what had happened with my brother. And they said, we need to pray. I'm like, go for it. So they had me sit in the middle of the room and all these people came around me and like I'm like the proxy for my brother while he's in the hospital. And they begin to pray. And like my body was on fire. It was the craziest feeling I had ever felt. Um, and then all of the people in the room were like, we're not leaving it here, we're all going to the hospital. And I don't know if you remember that night dad, but like a 100 people converge, young people converge upon a waiting room at KMC and just start interceding and praying for my brother. And my brother recovered, like he came back, like it it was an amazing miracle of what God did. So I know God can do it, and I know, but there's been those moments in my life where I've seen it and experienced it and knew that it was true in that moment, but it doesn't mean that 25 years later I don't have times where I go like, eh, that one's just too far off, (laughs) you know? don't give me the big ones, God. Where's the small? Oh, you have a hurt thumb? Let's, let's pray for your thumb, you know, like whatever it is. But God does it. So I, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here. But um, something that we want to do in next week is we're going to kind of change the service a little bit again. And I'm still working out the details of this. But it'll be more worship-oriented, testimony-oriented. Like we really want to invite the Spirit to do work in this church I really have the sense that there's kind of revival brewing in our land, like we're primed for it. I don't know what that looks like. It may not look like anything else we've ever experienced before. But I think it's gonna start with the people that are willing to say like, I'll take the first step of faith to begin to use what God's given me to be a blessing to his church and a blessing to our community and how, whatever capacity that is. We've talked about 19 spiritual gifts. How is it that God wants you to step in and use what he's given you? But I hope that we never are accused of being a church that rejected the gifts that God had for them. Rejected, like that was just for then, but it's not for today. What we do is we just come together to study the word. We're just all about theology. We're about word, and we're about spirit and power. And, And we're gonna be a church that continues to be held in balance by those two things which means some of you are the word people that are like, hey, you're getting kind of crazy. Like, bring it back. Some of you, the spirit people, are like, come on. Like, get out there and go pray for them, you know? Or like, get out there and go share, whatever it is. But we hold each other in balance. And this is why the diversity of the body of Christ is so important. Like, you want to see an injustice that we've done in America, it's creating churches around sort of affinities and, and people with like giftedness, and you don't get to see the diversity of the body come together and utilize all the different aspects of the gifts that God has provided them, so they begin to play off one another. Because like I said, we need the people with discernment to be paired with the people that who prophesy, we need the people who have the gift of tongues to be paired with the people who have the gift of interpretation, like they all play off one another and so we need the body to begin to function in that way. Um, some of you, I, like I heard stories over the last month of people saying like, God did this or he's speaking to me in this way and this is the gift that I believe he's given me or I stepped out and I began to practice and utilize that gift and this is what happened. Some of you have those stories and so we set up an email address, it's just stories at anthemcda.com. We would love to hear how God is moving in your life. Some of you might just say, I haven't got a clue how he's wired me or gifted me as of yet. But I'm seeking him, I'm earnestly seeking him and asking for that, and my time with Jesus has been sweeter than it's ever been as I begin to pursue him and ask for him to reveal these things to me. So I'd love to hear those stories. You can send an email uh, to that address. Um, Would you guys stand with me? We're gonna close a little bit differently. But I wanna remind us this morning that we worship a risen savior. Savior who literally died and literally came out of a grave, amen? He did. And if all of Christianity is built on that promise that we will go and do likewise, then I have no trouble believing that God can heal a blind person in 2022. I have no trouble believing that God could take a crippled person and make them walk. And we have to believe that God is still able to do these things because most skepticism in our hearts is actually thinly veiled idolatry. It's idolatry of our intellect, our mind, rather than submission to the authority of God's word. Trusting God that his ways are higher than our own because there are things that God wants us to do on this earth that will only happen because of the faith that he supernaturally provides you to do. There are things not currently happening in the Pacific Northwest because of our low level of faith. We just don't believe it will. And faith sort of releases like the activity of heaven on earth. Like in in fact, uh, if you read the gospels, Jesus was only ever amazed by two things. He was amazed by a lack of faith and he was amazed by great faith. And so you fall into one of those camps this morning. you lack faith or do you have great faith? If you have great faith, then why don't we practice it? Why don't we act on it? Why don't we begin to live as though we believe he is the risen Jesus? He's not still in the grave, he rose again. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you and I, amen? So I'm gonna close with prayer this morning. And I'm just gonna ask if there's those of you in this room, bold move, You believe that one of the gifts that we talked about this morning is a gift that God has birthed in you. And I don't care if you've never used it, you have used it, whatever, but you just feel convicted that like one of those gifts he's given you. Would you raise your hand? Okay, look at these hands. All of you that are around them, go lay hands on those people right now and let's begin to pray for them. Keep your hands up. I'll lead us in prayer and then I'm just gonna release you guys to continue to pray for them and we're gonna sing a couple songs together. So, we'll worship. Jesus, I thank you for the work that you're doing in this body of people. I thank you, God, that we serve a God that is not dead, a God that is not inactive, but a God by way of his Holy Spirit that is actually moving, on the move today, utilizing your people in supernatural ways. And I pray, God, the last six weeks of, of talking about this, would actually do something in our hearts to cause us to begin to take a step of faith, whatever that gift is that you've given us, that we begin to be a people that move on it, act on it, allow you to activate that within us, Jesus. And so I pray for those whose hands are up right now, that you begin to release those gifts in them, God, that they would not hoard them, they would not keep them from themselves, they would not hide behind fear and worry and doubt, but in fact, you give them a special gift of faith to actually begin to act on the gift that you've given them. And even there's people in this room right now who are sick, who are struggling, who need these people to come pray for them. And I pray, Jesus, that that would happen. And so, Jesus, we pray for your anointing upon your church for all of us, God. We thank you for the diversity of gifts that you've birthed in this body of people And I pray that they would come alive. I pray that we'd be a people that as we leave these doors, we don't look at it as though we just did church and we left it in those four walls and we go back out to our lives. But actually, I'd rather it be reversed, that maybe we're here, maybe this is the boring part because everything that happens outside of these walls far more exceeds the 45 minutes that I could talk to him on a Sunday morning. Jesus, bless your church and be with them and anoint them. Thank you, Jesus, for each life represented in this room. And I pray if people don't know you, that today might be the day that they surrender their hearts, their lives to you. Surrender everything and give you um, all of them, Jesus. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Let's sing.